You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Also on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing? How was your weekend, my guy? I'm doing good, man. A lot of football, a lot of stuff going on. Um, And yeah, I'm just still stunned by the the things that I'm seeing in, in the sports world. I mean... Uh, pretty soon the baseball playoffs will be coming right around the corner as well. So we'll, we will have, and then also we got Stanley cup final going on right now. We got NBA uh, conference finals right now. So yeah, it's all going off right now. It's crazy. Yeah. And October is going to be lit. Cause we got obviously NBA finals coming up. Then we got Stanley cup finals. Then we'll have uh, MLB playoffs going on. We'll have the NFL uh in the swing of things mls we got that going on too so damn near got every major sport in america going on so yeah it's lit it's lit for sure but let's start off with on this day september 24th we had the phil mary as we all know the seattle seahawks and the green bay packers game finished 14 to 12 in one of the most controversial plays in nfl history it was the year the replacement referees as Golden Tate ended up catching a 24-yard walk-off touchdown to help the Seahawks get the victory on Monday Night Football. And I just remember one ref was saying touchdown, one ref was saying incomplete, stop the clock. Take a listen. The game's final play is a Wilson lob to the end zone, which is fought for by Tate with Jennings simultaneous. Who has it? Who they give it to? Touchdown! One guy goes up, touchdown. The other said no time. Has to be looked at because it's a score. Still have an official down there in the pile looking. It's Russell Wilson. Biggest play is under review. This is deciding who wins the game on this call. The call on the field stands. Touchdown. Seahawks win. In the most bizarre finish you'll ever see. Yeah, that was a complete, complete shit show, Corey. I don't know if you remember this game where you were watching it, but I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, what the hell just goes on? Like, what, what do we do in this incident? Yeah, I was lost. I didn't know. I was. I, it, it felt similar to the end of that Rockets uh, OKC series. Um, didn't know what was going on. Didn't know who was winning, what what the situation was. Like, I just knew Russell Wilson was scrambling for his life, trying to just get the ball to the end zone, trying to make a play, trying to just keep the 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 team their team in it, the Seahawks in it. 
And I just remember Golden Tate going up for it and kind of battling with the, the, the defensive player and the referees ended up ruling it a touchdown because they, uh, the advantage goes to the offensive player. And so I just was like, I was, I was like, wow, I was completely in awe because like the Seahawks at that point in time were having a magical season, but at the same time, thinking back on it, I'm like, man, Packers, that's, that's got to hurt. That's got to suck. But I guess it kind of evens out with the number of Hail Marys that Aaron Rodgers has pulled on. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it kind of evens out. But at the end of the day, like, that was probably a – that was a sick feeling. That was a sick yeah. feeling, especially on Monday Night Football, nationally televised game. And for it to end like that, I mean, great for – 14 to 12, that was the final score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was great, obviously, for ESPN and the ratings, you know, all that. But – terrible as far as uh Packer fans or Packers organization because I remember like they didn't even want to come back onto the field for when the Seahawks had to kick the extra point try they were like yo that was that was terrible and I just remember uh them later on meeting up again in the playoffs and the Seahawks having to come back and then they get the onside kick and I'm like yo that was like the Seahawks and the Packers have had some really incredible games uh, against each other. And I, I think if they match up again in the playoffs, we will see yet another incredible uh, game between Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. It definitely is possible if they meet up in the NFC championship with the way things are going so far. But yeah, that, that game definitely taught me that the offensive player had or gets the advantage. That was the first time I actually learned about that. I never I even knew that was a rule. I never even thing. knew that. So. I didn't know that either. I mean, it's kind of good that it happened, but I just think like with the replacement refs and just one ref saying one thing, the other saying the other thing, it was just a shit show. And I kind of think that's like where it kind of stemmed like that refs are stupid in the NFL, whether they're replacements or not. And I think that's a good segue to go into our our famous segment, which is Are You Blind Call of the Week? I'll go first. I mean, I had the Bengals versus the Browns, the refs, just the entire game in general. There was terrible officiating all around. First of all, first play from scrimmage for the offense uh, of the Bengals, A.J. Green catches a ball, and it's clearly out of bounds, but the side judge calls it a catch. (laughs) And and, uh, Kevin Stefanski had to use a challenge. He's like, on the first offensive play, I have to use a challenge because you guys are so damn incompetent. That's like when Kevin Durant in the NBA was clearly and saved it, and they just didn't see it. It was right for the referees. He clears day out of bounds, and the refs were just like, play on. Nothing wrong here. Nothing to see here. And then that that, it it only gets worse from there. You had Odell Beckham Jr., who's on a streak route, potentially catching a stinky touchdown. But, I mean, (laughs) it's clearly – he was clearly being pulled by his jersey, by the defender, and nothing was called. It was a shitty no call uh, for Odell Beckham Jr., and it could have been a touchdown for him. And then you have Giovanni Bernard scored a goal line touchdown, and there was not enough evidence to overturn it. But yet, they still overturned it after reviewing the play. So, I mean, the refs were just – shitty luckily these blind calls and no calls didn't affect the outcome of the game the browns won 35 to 30 on thursday night football Corey, what's your call of the week well i've been very much impressed with how the chiefs have been playing and uh they had a little scare over the weekend going up against the chargers and rookie quarterback uh, justin herbert who you might say should have probably got the win uh if maybe it wasn't for 
a blown no call as far as Tyreek Hill goes. Like Tyreek Hill gets the touchdown, but he takes his helmet off as he's celebrating, which in the grand scheme of things, I have no problem with. But since it is a rule that if you take your helmet off and you're on the field, that should be flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. It doesn't get flagged. And obviously Kansas City goes for two, ends up tying the game, and they win it in overtime. But had that been flagged, that would have made that two-point conversion a little bit more tougher for Patrick Mahomes. Maybe it makes it easier because, you know, you push him back, he gives more room to operate. But at the same time, I'm just thinking like, yo, you can't just gift a team easy, easy points. Or you can't gift teams just no calls. And it kind of put the Chargers in a bad spot because who knows, if they maybe get uh, – uh, if they line up for that, uh, that two-point try, maybe Mahomes gets hit. Maybe they're able to knock the ball down. Maybe they still have the lead, and they make it a lot tougher on Andy Reid and the Chiefs. And who knows? Maybe they surprise, get the upset. And that's a division game. So, I mean, if, if maybe things go the Chargers' way there down the stretch, who knows? But that was a, a situation that definitely did not help their chances. And I don't know. I just felt like that was one of those situations where, you know, I'm not saying the Chiefs are on the Patriot level quite yet, but who knows, man? They are the champs. And I'm expecting to see a lot more favorites. Getting Super Bowl calls already. I'm gonna, what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it right now. They're gonna get a lot more of those type <laughs> of calls. They're gonna get a lot more because they are the champs and they're the team to beat. And they got the, the potential face of the league right now on the team. So they're gonna get a lot of that favoritism their way from the refs. So I have no problem with it in the grand scheme of it, but I'm just you know pointing it out because it's like, damn, like. If you're a Chargers fan, you got to be feeling some type of way because it was like we were that close to pulling off an upset and that close to making things very interesting early on in that division. Yeah, and I think Tyreek was asked about it after the game, and he was like, I didn't take my helmet off. But <laughs> <laughs> clear video evidence. Clearly, so. bro. I think the video says otherwise, but all right. But, yeah. Um, let's get into a little week two takeaways from the NFL. I mean, this is a – week full of up and downs in the league i mean i think the biggest thing the biggest down was definitely the injury bug took over the nfl in week two players were dropping like flies um and a lot of them a lot of big names i should say suffered from season-ending injuries you have nick bosa solomon thomas saquon barkley Cortland sutton tavon young malik hooker bruce irvin i'm sure i'm missing some as well and then you had guys who are still out for a significant time but not at season ending um Christian McCaffrey Anthony Barr Byron Jones Jimmy G Drew Locke Paris Campbell could be season ending uh depends on whether he gets surgery or not Raheem Mostert Tevin Coleman Cam Akers Sterling Shepherds and like I said I'm sure I'm forgetting some other big names but I mean the list goes on and on and on I can go this whole episode just listing off the names of how many players got injured I'm sure a lot of guys uh fantasy leagues got just oh, don't destroyed. even start with me. Don't even start. <laughs> Somebody told me that after week one, he had drafted Saquon, but after week one, he traded him away. And he was like, after, after I was like, after week one, you just traded him away? He was like, yeah, yeah. After what I saw week one, I was like, nah, I got to get rid of him. And I'm like, man, that's cold. Hell of a, trade. Hell hell of of a, a trade. trade. Hindsight 2020. I'm like, yeah. dang, hell of a trade. And yeah. Wow, um, But I mean – in week two, we normally see major injuries start to hit NFL teams and NFL players, but I don't think we've ever seen something like this where majority of the players on the injury report are like key, key contributors to their respective teams. Nah. And I think 
this season with no preseason. And as we know, preseason is key when it comes back, when it comes to players getting back into the swing of things and kind of easing them in quarter by quarter each game. I think that's beneficial. And I think a lot of the people who were totally against the preseason being there, they were like, let's just get straight into the season football, kind of biting their tongue now and kind of saying, okay, preseason's a little important. But, yeah, yeah, that's what I think a lot of people are thinking because, like, with preseason, yeah, I mean, you don't really see, like, the flashiness of it. And a lot of people have always wondered, like, what's the point of having it? Because guy, we're so used to seeing guys get hurt in the preseason. Now we're in the season now. And if you think about it, how we have preseason, maybe this happens in the preseason and maybe it's not season ending, but it's a long-term injury for a lot of these guys instead of just season ending. But, I mean, it's it's tough either way. We never want to see anybody get hurt or injured. But overall, I mean, like you said, and then also another factor is, is like you have rookies and you have young guys and you have a lot of different guys who uh, are coming back into the swing of things and coming back to playing. And, you know, when you have young players, you kind of have to relearn how to tackle and relearn how to, you know, create physical contact. Uh, and I just feel like that increases – the violence and increases the, the the danger of players even that much more. Not only that, the NFL is a whole different ballgame from college football. So the speed that they're playing at is way higher. So not having that preseason or even a full length of training camp is such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we have the Falcons versus the Cowboys. I mean, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways, the monumental comeback for the Dallas Cowboys against the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons were up 20 to zero at the end of the first quarter and then 29 to 10 at the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they went on to score 10 more points in the second half. So they had 39 points. They didn't have a bad game by any means. But what if I told you that they gave up 30 points in the second half to the Cowboys and they, after being up 20 points and they eventually lost 39 to 40 to the Cowboys. I mean, we all know, the Falcons are no strangers to blowing leads, especially when they're known for the biggest meltdown in Super Bowl history, losing to the Patriots after being up 28-3. to So, I mean, are they the L.A. Falcons, Atlanta Clippers? Because they're both known for doing very similar things, and that's choking big leads. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those situations where I think that you get too much on cruise control. And we've seen it, like you said before, with the 28-3. And I think a lot of times when you establish a lead, you establish your dominance. It's you got to think about it on the opposite end. So many times teams will get back into games or make it an interesting game, but they're not able to complete the comeback because it's just so much of a crazy deficit. Think about it, down 20 points at the end of the first quarter, down uh, 19 at the end of the first half. Talk about demoralizing. Like, I mean, that to me is probably the difference between uh, Jason Garrett and uh, Mike McCarthy. And also I think that also we're seeing a new Dak Prescott, potentially we're seeing maybe a new Dak Prescott, because if you would have said that last season, the Cowboys definitely catch a hell <laughs> on any situation. I think if you put the Cowboys in that scenario down 20 points at the end of the first quarter, you expect them to lose and not come back into that game. 
I mean, I'll give Dak credit because he has come back from like crazy deficits in the past. Like I remember like they were down in the playoffs against uh, Green Bay and he was able to get them right back in the game. If it wasn't for that crazy Mason Crosby field goal, maybe they end up winning that one. But overall, I just think that this game, like you said, was more about the Falcons. I mean, on that onside kick, how many – I wish I could have counted how many guys could have gotten that ball for the Falcons. There was, like, at least three guys who could have picked that ball up. I'm like, they were yo. Doing, they are doing a good job social distancing. I mean, for real. Like, just pick the ball up. It's right there. Just pick it up or fall on top of I was, it. I was looking on Twitter, and people were asking. They are like, can – the receiving team touched the ball even before 10 yards. I'm like, yes, yes! again. Yes! I'm like, why is this even a question? They're like looking at it like, did it go 10 yards? It's like they're waiting. Yeah. It's like they didn't even realize. They thought they were the kicking team or something. I don't know. It reminded me also like Cam Newton when like the ball was literally right there and he just didn't pick it up in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50 mm. against the Broncos. I was just like, why, why did they not jump on that ball? Like, and not even – it was just the sense of urgency. They didn't – they just seemed late, and they just seemed like a totally different team compared to that team in the first half. And I don't know. I think that 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 might be a huge demoralizing loss, especially continuing on the rest of the way of the season. But, I mean, we'll see. If you want to talk about monumental wins for the Cowboys – they lose that game. They go 0-2. It's not looking too mm. pretty to start off the but campaign. I think a lot of – well, first of all, when Dallas loses, America wins. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> so, but, I mean, you – I don't know. I, I, all over social media, all I said is Dak wants more money than what he's making mm. right now. He wants the big bucks. Mike McCarthy was such a bad hiring, yada, yada, yada. And then come into the game, ooh, the script flipped. Like I just remember seeing on my phone, I was like, dang, Cowboys down 20 points. I'm like, yeesh. And I picked them to win this. I was like, I picked them to win this game. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Not looking too some, good. There were some people calling for Andy Dalton. And I was just like, uh, yeah, it, yeah. And, and, I was like, okay. And that was one of the things that I was kind of expecting. Because it's like the cow, Cowboy fans, it's like every year is Super Bowl or bust for them. It's like so similar to like Real Madrid fans and uh, the other football uh, Real Madrid expect to win La Liga and the Champions League every single year. And if they don't do it, it's a failure, which understandably so. As big of a team as they are in the world and as notable as they are in the world, they expect to win. Cowboys expect not to make it to the playoffs, not to win the division. They expect to win the Super Bowl every freaking year. And so to to, to and have especially, already – Especially because on paper, they look good. Yeah. They they, they they have no they year really, after year. The only like I guess you could say excuse or thing that I I'm I'm still allowing them before I jump on their heads is just the fact that like we were talking about no preseason, new coach, and it's gonna take some time. Even though you got all these weapons and on paper they look stacked, they look like they should just roll through. I people still need that reminder of hey. This is a new coaching staff. This is a new head coach. This is still going to take some time. You still got new faces also coming in the building. So, I mean, it's going to take some time for them to, to finally gel out. They looked, I thought they looked pretty decent against the Rams. It's just uh, late game situations there. They, they just weren't really, throughout the whole game in that, in that week one game, they just weren't able to move the ball up and down the field. And maybe you could say they kind of should have gave it to Zeke a little bit more. But in this one, I just feel like it was a tale of two halves. Like, it was night and day. 
Like the Cowboys look like completely terrible in the first half. And, and had three fumbles in the first quarter. And then, and then in the second half, they just look like, yeah, we about to kill them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, mean, I, think, should, I think that might be a season-defining win if they go on to do something special this year. It could because it definitely shows how resilient they are. And then they didn't get down on themselves uh, after having that horrendous first quarter and first half. And I think – Dak Prescott, I mean, big game from him. Uh, actually, he he became the first QB in NFL history to pass for 400-plus yards and rush for three touchdowns in the same game. So, And then just one more thing before we move on to the next topic. Uh, that was really um, – I forget what the uh, the player's name, but I think at the end of the game there was a, a Falcons player that went up – Hayden to, Hurst. Yeah, Hayden Hurst. Shout out to Hayden Hurst, man. Going up to Dak, sharing that conversation with him, talking about how they should link up and do something about uh, mental illness and just continue to talk about it. Because it's something uncomfortable. It's something that we as a society, especially, you know, men, we don't really talk about um, how we feel. And we don't really talk about us, you know, uh, like if we're having like a bad time, if we're going through it or whatever. And I think it's starting to become normal now to be able to say like, Hey, I'm not okay. Or, Hey, I'm not doing okay. Or I'm not doing well. And we don't always have to just, you know, bottle things up. So shout out to Dak, shout out to Hayden Hurts for, for continuing that fight, continuing that conversation. And, you know, especially with it being a, a suicide prevention month, I think a lot of people um, are going to rally behind that no matter what the result of the game was. For sure. All right, let's move on. We had the Saints playing the Las Vegas Raiders in their brand new Roomba or Death Star, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's Allegiant Stadium. It was the first game there, and the Raiders shocked the NFL by beating the Saints pretty convincingly, too, I would say. Uh, final score was 34-24. to 24. Uh, More than the Raiders looking good, I think the Saints just didn't look good. And that, no that's Michael not, Thomas. No that, Michael Thomas. That's not discrediting the Raiders at all. And I know Drew Brees didn't have trusty wide receiver Michael Thomas, but he still didn't look good. I'm sorry to say, he didn't look good. He was missing receivers wide open on crossing routes. He was afraid to take deep shots, and he wasn't even reading de- defensives correctly. <laughs> like, he, he just looked bad all around. So, I mean – is age catching up to Mr. Drew Brees, who is 41 years old, I should say. But is age catching up to him, Corey? I mean, for so long, like for so many seasons, uh, maybe you could even say like the past few seasons, like the one thing that the the Saints have been able to hang their hat on, well, two things, uh, I guess you could say, has been the play of Drew Brees uh, and that Saints offense. Like with Drew Brees at the helm, they are – one of the best offenses in the NFL and they've dominated on the offensive side of the football. The concerning thing though, is that, you know, as Drew ages on and, you know, last year he did have the injury that kind of, you know, took him out for the opening few games of the season. But I just think overall, it's a grind, man. And it's been a grind, like several years of making it to the postseason and coming up short and then having to readjust yourself mentally, get ready for the season. Um, I don't want to say necessarily that age might become catching up to him. I'll just say that he definitely doesn't look like the same Drew Brees, the same consistent level Drew Brees that he's been ever since he's made the move over to New Orleans. And that's not to say that's a knock on him. It's just that at this stage in his career, I think the Saints – 
don't need to always be so heavily reliant on him. They don't always have to be like, okay, Drew, bail us out. All right, Drew, go ahead. It's like, I think some of the the offensive load could fall onto the run game, and especially on Alvin Kamara. I mean, I feel like after especially um, them coming to negotiations, Kamara kind of needs to be able to demand the ball a little bit more. And not saying, like, he needs to be uh, a hothead or anything, but I think that's going to help Drew Brees' longevity in the end. Because if Brees is having to drop back and just keep on throwing, keep on throwing, keep on throwing, and I know they were down in the game, so, I mean, I understand why they were airing it out. But overall, I just think that uh, Kamara takes a lot of pressure off Breeze if he's able to establish himself early. Yeah, I can see where, where you're coming from. But I just think, like, the Raiders' pass rush wasn't even amazing. Like, there's going to be mm-hmm. other teams in the NFC that are going to have way more dominant pass rushes. Mm-hmm. And it still looked like the reason why I bring up age is catching it, Drew Breeze is because I think that he – he he doesn't want to take the hits anymore. I mean, who does? It's like now. So, I mean, him at 41 years old, who wants to take those hits, especially since he's been taking it all career long. So, and like, like what's going to happen when he goes up against these good pass rush defense and to Kamara, I mean, the guy I think had like nine receptions for 95 yards or something like that, given he got some in garbage time as well. But I think a lot of the, the blame needs to go on Sean Payton as well too I mean I get that you don't have Michael Thomas you don't have a guy who can catch within the five-yard radius or whatever but like you said you have Kamara like get to work and uh not only that I think the Saints defense they they looked good against the Bucks, but couldn't stop the only two dudes on the Raiders that were killing them Darren Wallers and Josh Jacobs like two guys that's all you had to do and oh, they're over here just eating salivating like just play after play they're they're getting their money's worth on these guys so it's like i i don't know what to say about the saints defense because if the saints want to go to the super bowl and want to win a super bowl it's going to be on the backs of their defense as well their offense may the the saints offense always starts off slow every year and that's actually why i had them losing to the bucks week one just because they're always a slow team in the beginning of the season i expect them to pick it back up later on but that defense, I mean, it's not going to bode well for them in the NFC playoffs if this is how their defense is going to play. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think one of the, the things that was very telling was on that final final drive, like you said, Josh Jacobs barrels down the first play of the drive for the Raiders, gets the first down, and it's like, dang, like, he <laughs> couldn't stop us, couldn't even stop him, play one. And then when it, when this looks like the Saints might get a stop, they air it out and they pick up a flat a, a, a pass interference call, and it's like, dang! And gutsy, gutsy, gutsy call by John Gruden could have punted, and instead of deciding to punt, he decides to go for the field goal, hits it, and pretty much puts the dagger in the hearts of New Dylan Orleans. Dylan Carlson. I mean, that was a gutsy call because if you miss, you pretty much are giving Drew Brees, even though he was not having the greatest of games, you still that's still Drew Brees on the other side of the, uh, of the ball that you're giving really good field position to go down and do what Drew Brees has done so many times in his career, and that's score a late-game touchdown to maybe send that game into overtime, which if it goes to overtime, I feel like the Raiders probably would have dropped that one. But kudos to him, 2-0, to start the year and right there 
atop of the AFC West alongside the Chiefs. I mean, maybe we might see a shocker out of the Raiders this year. I I saw a stat where it's like teams that go two and zero I think have a sixty two percent chance of making the playoffs, and I think that percentage is going to be even higher now. Not that there's one extra playoff spot in each conference, so interesting. Yeah, interesting. yeah. And then I'm just thinking about uh, the previous team that made their debut in Vegas and how they made it all the way to a championship. Didn't win it, but made it all the way to a championship in the Las Vegas Knights, making it to the Stanley Cup final in their inaugural season. Do this? Do the Raiders maybe do whoa, that? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right, let's, let's simmer down. We're so we we only we two. Only we two. Let's simmer down now. Hey, but if John Gruden does it, I won't oh. be shocked at all if that happens. Because I'll be like, dang. Knock on wood if you're with really, if he, If they get to the Super Bowl, I think nobody will – be able to slander Gruden for that uh, Khalil Mack trade ever again. All right, let's move on because Corey's talking crazy. <laughs> um, there was some scary news for Tyrod Taylor. Uh, he was receiving an injection pregame to administer a painkiller for his cracked rib so he could play. Uh, and right before kickoff, he complained about chest pains and couldn't play. Turns out, Days later that the doctor who had administered the injection had punctured one of Tyrod's lungs and he's been advised by doctors to not play. The Chargers are hoping that he'd be clear by Sunday to play against Carolina Panthers, but doctors are saying it's not looking hopeful. Um, I think that doctor had uh, Justin Herbert on his fantasy team puncturing Tyrod's lungs and, and advising him to sit out next week. No, I'm just kidding. But but in all seriousness, I mean, I hope Tyrod has a safe and healthy recovery. Tyrod, Um, man, has just had some really bad luck. Like, when he was in – first of all, he gets trade – he gets benched for Nathan Peterman, Peterman, and then gets traded from the Bills after taking them to the playoffs in God knows how long. And then with Cleveland, gets the chance to start and then all of a sudden gets injured, Baker Mayfield comes in. As soon as he comes in, he ain't coming out. So got the boot out of uh, Cleveland. Now coming to a Chargers team that was pretty much ran by Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers leaves, has the opportunity to be the starter, and then yet again an injury keeps him out. And now the rookie, Justin Herbert, is looking like he – is going to get that starting role and probably not surrender it unless he plays really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, in the meantime, Chargers are starting their number one pick, taking sixth overall, Justin Herbert. Um, and his NFL debut was against the defending Super Bowl champs. And although the Chargers lost, which I don't think it was Justin Herbert's fault at all, which we'll I'll talk about later, he had a hell of a debut. But – before we get into Justin Herbert, I mean, what are your thoughts on Tyrod Taylor's whole situation with the injection and the doctor? Uh, I, I just, I think it's kind of reminded me of similar situation of Kawhi Leonard and of how he was getting criticized by the media and by the Spurs organization and how, like, I think athletes just need to be aware that while yes, those doctors are there for you. They're there to take care of you. Their interests and their their money is coming from the organization that they uh, belong to. So that doctor is not Tyrod Taylor's doctor. That doctor is the doctor of the LA Chargers. So 
uh, I just think that you always got to be, I don't want to say wary, but you just kind of have to, and especially in a sport like football, you kind of just have to make sure that you are taking care of you. And, and, it, and I know it's d- very difficult at this point in time to say that because of COVID and not being able to, you know, go out and get maybe a second or a third opinion about certain things. But it's just, it's just very, very unfortunate for, like I said, Tyrod Taylor and how I mentioned with the previous instances that he's had in his career. I th- I, I've always felt that Tyrod Taylor has been a solid overall quarterback. It's just that every organization he's been to, he really just, he's been given an opportunity with Buffalo. And outside of that, he was given a chance, got injured. And after that, see ya. I would say with the way he played week one, I mean, he didn't deserve to start this game, but that that's looked, fair. Cause I mean, like you look at that score and you look at the way that the, the Chargers played overall against, they just look like it, not a really great Bengals team. And if the they, Browns are putting 35 on them, if the Browns are putting 35 on them, the Chargers should be putting at least 35 up on them. That's that's facts. That's facts. And who knows? Uh, maybe with, you know, Justin Herbert at the helm, maybe the, the offense starts clicking a little bit. Well, let's talk about him, actually. I mean, he didn't back down from the spotlight. I mean, you talk about Super Bowl defending champs going up against them and had 311 passing yards, one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, only one pick. And 66% completion percentage. I, I think his only rookie moment was his interception that he threw. Oh, yeah. Oh, which yeah. he threw into triple coverage when he could have got the first down with his legs right there. Um, and the reason why I say it wasn't his fault that they lost is because Anthony Lynn decided to punt on fourth and inches in overtime, mm, which yeah. meant the next score wins. And Harrison Budgard made three plus yard field goals when only one counted. But, I mean, you just can't in that situation – give the ball back by punting it and especially to and former MVP and the Super Bowl champs in the Chiefs like that that right there you you lost the game as soon as you did that but yeah you kind of have to show a little guts because I mean if you don't get it if you were already going to punt it back to him anyway so I, I mean I understand in that instance he was maybe trying to like play the percentages and he didn't want to just give them good field position if he didn't get it. But it's like, you got to take a chance on that instance. Like you said, you're going up against the defending champs. And not only that, you're going against a team that's in your division. So you win this game, you're one up on, on them. And that could be the difference between you're two and oh, yeah, you're two and oh. And then also like, depending on whatever they do, like you still have the tiebreaker on them. If y'all have the, the same record, so you could be, uh, the division champs, or you could be above them in the, in the standing. So, yeah, I think in that instance, you just got to take a little bit of a chance there. And I think Anthony Lynn, his one of the the problems I think with him as a as a head coach is that he just doesn't take. I think it's game management, and he doesn't take a whole lot of chances. He's very conservative as far as uh, the way that he goes about uh, managing a game, which is fine. But in in the way that the NFL is moving, you have to take chances. You have to be willing to to go for it at some point in time, and that's the perfect opportunity to go for it. I mean, game on the line, you got to take the chance there. And if you I don't mean, you get got, it, you don't get it. You got the Ravens hiring literally dudes from Yale University just to, <laughs> just deciding the percentages of whether they should go for it on fourth down or not. So, I mean, just, yeah, exactly, fine. exactly. But even with Tyrod Taylor being healthy, I think you have to start Justin Herbert because he gives them the best chance to win. And I mean, after, the, after, after his debut, I really think it's – it's tough to to just be like, yeah, we're going. Yeah, we appreciate you what you did, but you go you go, you, you got to go back to the bench. 
nah, man, you got to let it ride at this point. And then until he kind of hits that, if he hits that, you know, he might not. But if until he hits that rookie wall point or he has, like, a, a, just a rookie game, uh, and even then, that's the thing. Once you put the rookie out there, you you can't you can't reel him back in and be like, oh, got to go back to the bench now. It doesn't make any sense. And I think at this point in time, you'd much rather him get the experience of being out on the field, being in game situations, because the consensus is that the Chargers are not going to win a whole lot of games this year. So, I mean, you might as well see what you got and what you drafted in your first round uh, draft pick and your rookie quarterback. So just let it ride. I think that he is going to be very sporadic with his play. I think a lot of people are going to take this performance and they're going to be expecting this performance every single game. Take this performance with a grain of salt and remember that he is still a rookie and he had flashes of this when he was with Oregon, but he also had flashes, like we said, like where he had a rookie mistake and threw into the uh, triple coverage. So, I mean, Justin Herbert, I thought was a good quarterback. I just didn't feel like he was, uh, I, I think, better than, Tua, in my opinion. I felt he was a good overall pick for the Chargers, but I just feel like Tua, to me, was the the better out of uh, the top uh, quarterback picks in uh, the 2020 NFL draft. All right, let's move on. We got week two, game of the week. We were talking about last episode. If you didn't know what we predicted, check out last episode. But Vikings versus Colts. Twitter, we got a, we posted it on our Twitter, as we always do, so make sure you go and vote. 63% said Vikings, 37% said the Colts. I said the Vikings on last show. Corey said the Colts. So I am starting off this season 0-1 along with Twitter, and Corey <laughs> is starting off the season 1-0. But, I mean, it may have been the nosebleeds game of the week, but it was far from the actual game of the week because mm. – Oh, my God, what a boring shit show of a game from the Vikings. Uh, the first half was boring for both teams, turning the ball over off of silly mistakes, and it was only field goals. No no touchdowns being scored. I mean, T.Y. Hilton had a dot thrown to him by Rivers, but he dropped it in the end zone on uh, the come down. Mm, oh, my God. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, and then Kirk Cousins looked like absolute shit. Like, just straight up, shit, 11 for 26, 113 yards, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions. And those are stats of while they're down the entire game. Insane. Ooh-wee. That was bad. That was bad. And, and I know it's early, but the Vikings were supposed to be in contention for the NFC North title, but that's not happening. Let, let's be honest. That's not happening. Their offense is too slow without Stefan Diggs, in my opinion. They don't have anybody who can really stretch the field. They thought they had then Justin Jefferson, which I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but I just don't think he's there yet. And Thielen is only one person that can do so much. Kyle Rudolph is too old. That run game, if you're going to be down, you can't rely on that run game as mm. much. So, And then their defense, it will get a lot better when Daniel Hunter gets back. But, I mean – I still don't think that'll be enough to propel them to that next level. And then as for the Colts, they have been getting hit by the injury bug bad. I mean, first last week you had Marlon Mack uh, rupturing his Achilles. Now Paris Campbell, who I thought would be River's favorite target. And then Malik Hooker. The Malik Hooker one hurts the most because 
I thought he was a stud coming out of Ohio State. And he hasn't been a disappointment, but he hasn't been that star, that superstar mm, that the Colts thought right. they, they had got. And, I mean, he's still very young, but the Colts declined his fifth-year option, making this year a contract year for him. And he goes and ruptures his Achilles. So, I mean, you got to feel for the guy. Um, and then Jonathan Taylor stepped up in a big way, proving that he's capable of being an every-down back for this Colts uh, franchise. But, Corey, what was your thoughts on this game and takeaways? Uh yeah, I think like one of the things is just uh, I, I think both of these teams are in divisions that are going to be I don't want to say both of them are going to be interesting, but I think both of these teams are just at stages and points where they're still trying to figure it out. But more so with the Vikings, I think maybe they just decide to do you decide maybe to blow things up with the with the Vikings? I mean. you're 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 looking at another year where you're probably going to miss the playoffs I'm not really all that sure what the concert situation is with Minnesota but after they traded Stefan Diggs in the offseason I was thinking like that is going to hurt them just similarly how the Texans when they traded away uh, DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals and you're so far seeing it I know we're only two weeks in but Kirk Cousins, man, I just – he has always been a guy who I thought was an okay quarterback. I thought he was decent, not great, not elite, but decent. And when you have a decent guy at the helm, you kind of just don't know what you're going to get. You could get a crazy performance one week. You could get an average performance the next, and you can just get, like Kush said, a shit T performance the next week. And that is what we saw from Kirk Cousins. And – it's not to say that his counterpart, Phillip Rivers, played better. It's just that Phillip Rivers, I think, still compared to Kirk Cousins at this point, even at this point in his career, I think that Phillip Rivers is probably a more, I think maybe people would probably more so lean towards taking Phillip Rivers than uh, Kirk Cousins right now. And I just think that the Colts, like you said, they are going to really get hurt off of those injuries, which could open a door in that division, I feel, for really the Titans to probably secure it. But at maybe, like, if that if that division is as open as I'm expecting it to be, I think that you could have maybe potentially uh, a three-horse race there between the Colts, the Texans, and uh, the Titans. Yeah, and I mean, for the Vikings, they're kind of stuck with Kirk Cousins for another – two more years after this year, after giving him that three-year, $90 million contract, fully guaranteed. <laughs> so, ooh, that's tough if you're a Vikings fan. Yeah, it's tough. But they decided to go out and take that gamble. And, it's again, Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. He's just very inconsistent. And he was and – and it was just so funny how, like, when people were criticizing, like, Washington for not paying him – I I don't I won't want to like you know dive deep into that situation, but this is one of the reasons why I wasn't gonna you know pay him because you just don't know what you're gonna get, and it's not all on Kirk Cousins, it's not all his fault, but at the same time you, you just look at this organization and after the the Minnesota miracle, things have kind of just went straight to hell for them. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We got our week three game of the week. None other than the Monday night football matchup. 
Chiefs versus Ravens. It was a tough one to pick the game of the week, but at the same time, it wasn't tough because <laughs> you had games that we could have chose from, like Dolphins versus Jags on Thursday Night Football, Rams versus Bills, Packers versus Saints, Cowboys versus Seahawks. But I think this one just being a potential AFC championship matchup on primetime Monday night, you got to go with this one. Um, these two teams played each other each of the last two years. Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson is 2-0. and Game one in 2018, Chiefs won 27-24 to in overtime. Game two, 2019, Chiefs won 33-28. to And I think last time we had a Monday night football matchup that looked this amazing on paper was probably the Chiefs versus Rams in 2018. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that game was arguably one of the greatest games in NFL history. Rams won 54-51 to in a shootout. And if you don't know which game I'm talking about, first of all, shame on you. And second of all, go watch the replay of the game or highlights, and you can thank me later on social media. But I think you look at any power rankings, you will most likely have these two teams in the Ravens and the Chiefs at one and two. Uh, Ravens are coming into this game as of Thursday as three and a half point favorites, probably because they have quote unquote home field advantage, even though they don't really have fans. But <laughs> I mean, Corey, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Um, this is obviously probably going to be the biggest test for the Chiefs so far in this season. Um, and I think it'll be a really interesting test for that defense because we kind of saw their defense look dominant in that first half against Houston in the opening game, but it kind of gave up some garbage touchdowns late on. Um, they didn't look as dominant against the Chargers, but they did have a few moments where they did, like we said, um, kind of cause Justin Herbert to make a few mistakes. But this is the game in which if the defense doesn't come out to play, they might struggle. And if the defense, I think, doesn't uh, pay attention to the game plan and really cause Lamar Jackson some fits, um, I think Baltimore might be able to, to sneak this one. But ultimately, I am going to rock out with the Chiefs to win this game, um, even though they are considered uh, the underdog. But overall, I think that the Chiefs are going to – you know, figure this one out. I think they're going to be in another shootout. And if it's a shootout, then I got to go with the guy who I think is the better quarterback. And at this point in time, just at this point in time, we don't know what the future holds, but at this point in time, that's Patrick Mahomes. And I think that the Chiefs ultimately are going to win a very, very close nail biter. Yeah, crazy to think that the Chiefs are underdogs. I think this might be one of the only matchups in the entire season in which they are underdogs. But um, for the Chiefs, they they haven't looked like the Chiefs of the last two years that we've been seeing. Mm-hmm. Could mm-hmm. be lack of preseason, and they're still just warming up. But besides, I mean, they're still 2-0. They're undefeated. For the Ravens, looks like they want Lamar Jackson to pass more and only run kind of when, he scram- when he's scrambling and he absolutely needs to. Um, I mean, like you said, the Chargers, they did a great job on Mahomes. They put a lot of pressure on him, not allowing him to make the constant big plays that we're known that he's known to make and making him look somewhat human. And then for the Texans, they did a great job keeping Lamar Jackson in checks in terms of the ground game, also making him somewhat human. It'll be interesting to see if uh, either of these teams, you know, kind of take a little bit of the game plan from their oppositions in week two 
um, to, to incorporate it into their game plans. The most intriguing matchup for me this game, because, I mean, you go down each aspect on offense and defense matching up against each other. It, it's a hell of a matchup. But the most intriguing one for me is going to be the Chiefs' pass offense versus the Ravens' pass defense. I mean, the Chiefs can beat you in so many damn ways. I mean, the fact that they have Pat Mahomes, that's – I mean, that's – Speaks for itself, but Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, if he is healthy, Miko Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and then you look at the Ravens' secondary. Looks better than it was before, and I thought they would actually be worse than last year. Tough blow for the Ravens, though. They did lose Tavon Young, which is their slot corner. They lost him to another ACL tear, which is back-to-back years, so, and same knee as well, too, so tough, tough blow for Tavon Young. Um, but Marlon Humphrey, All-Pro, Marcus Peter, former All-Pro, and then you have Chuck Clark, the rookie Patrick Queen, Jimmy Smith, all hell of a pass defense, too. Not to mention, this 30s chief offensive line versus this Ravens bolstered-up D-line, I mean, it it's going to be such a fun game to watch. But you know me, I'm I'm a rock out ultimately with uh, my team, my Ravens, getting a dub. Lamar Jackson has to win this game, in my opinion. If the media wants to deem this a rivalry for the ages between the Chiefs and the the Ravens, so but I, I think John Harbaugh, Greg Roman, Don Martindale, I think they're all gonna do a great job game planning for Mahomes. It's gonna be it's gonna be a close one. I wouldn't be surprised if the the Ravens don't even cover that three and a half point spread because that's how close of a game I think it's gonna be. But that that's my opinion. Got the Ravens getting the dub. Corey got Chiefs with the dubs. Twitter, let us know what you guys think. We're going to have our polls up at the underscore nosebleeds on Twitter. One last thing. If you think either of these teams, let's say, just mops the floor with the other team, do you kind of think that, like, more so says a lot about the team who blew the other team out or the team that got blown out? I think more for the team that blows the other team out. I, I I just think if one team mops the floor, because we both know that both of these teams are arguably two of the best teams in the entire NFL, not even the AFC, just the NFL. Mm-hmm. But and, and we know there's off days. So it's like Ravens did it all of last season. Chiefs have done it all of last two seasons and won a Super Bowl. So it's like one game that you can't really just knock them. It will be like a big question mark when it comes to playoff. But, oh, yeah. Especially if they but, meet up again. But I mean, in terms of who who's more who would be more impressed or unimpressed, I think it would be more impressive for the team that blows the other team out. For sure. All right, let's move on. We got the NBA conference finals in full swing. Let's start off with the Eastern Conference Finals. We got the Heat up 3-1 right now. We talked about game one on our last podcast, so check that out if you didn't catch it. Game two was a thriller coming down to the wire, but Miami ultimately won going up 2-0. Game three was a runaway win for the Celtics, winning by 11. I think that was the only lopsided game of the series so far. Uh, Celtics pushed the series, but they were still down 2-1. And then game four, Wednesday night, another thriller with the Heat edging out the Celtics by three to go up 3-1. I'm going to start off with my thoughts on this series. Um, I think like we said in our series predictions, for both teams, this is going to be a full team effort. They they don't really have the quote-unquote superstars on their teams. They have some damn good stars, and they have some potential superstars, but they don't have the quote-unquote superstars on these teams. Yeah, but like Miami, top, top five guys or top ten guys. Top ten even. I, I wouldn't put yeah. any of these guys potentially in top ten. They're like 
right fringe out, right yeah 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 like right outside and that's not knocking them again like they're right outside top 10 for me right and then for miami first of all i'm giving a lot of credit to eric spolstra who i'm gonna say is arguably the best coach in the league right now and doesn't get treated as such i know we got greg popovich but eric spolstra what he's been able to do throwing multiple zones at the Celtics that look like one zone defense, but it's actually another zone defense. Like he's throwing a two, one, two, uh, a one, three, one, but it's actually just a two, three zone defense. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't tell what he's throwing at. And it's, it's getting the Celtics shook and he's got this team playing like a cohesive unit and every single player is buying into that team play and that unselfishness. I mean, and for Eric Spolstra, he started off rookie Kendrick Nunn all season long, but now he's going with a crafty veteran who has been hot recently, Goran Dragic. Cough, cough, Doc Rivers, take some notes. And then <laughs> you have Tyler freaking Hero. I mean, Hero Ball. I knew he was getting overlooked coming into the draft and he was going to make people regret not drafting him earlier. But damn, I didn't expect him to come in at 20 years old and drop damn near a triple double in game one play crunch time minutes, come up in the clutch, and then drop 37 points in the Eastern Conference Finals. And not to mention, this dude got swag <laughs> oh, yeah. on and off the court. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to see this this guy's young career. I mean, the guy's 20. Can't even buy a legal drink, and he's dropping 37 points on these cats over here in he's Boston. Doing, he's just doing whatever he wants. And for Boston, I think they match up so well against Miami, but I just think Miami edges them out in every aspect. Miami can go down the court and, you know, score, I want to say, seven out of ten times. We'll just throw a number out there. And Boston will go and score six out of ten times, which is still 60%, and it's amazing. But that one possession is all it's taken to beat them, and that's exactly what Miami is doing to this series. And I think what – I don't want to discredit any Celtics players, and I don't want to not mention Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum has been absolutely amazing. I think he solidified himself as a top-five two-way player in the league. Mm. Yeah, defense is so underrated. I think he does a hell of a job both on the perimeter and interior defensively too. And then offense. A budding star for sure. Yeah, 100%. But Corey, what are your thoughts on the series? I think uh, so far the only game that the Celtics has won uh, was the game that Gordon Hayward came back. And I felt like he was going to have like some sort of an impact for them. And ultimately the Celtics did get that win. And I felt like that was going to be the turning point. I felt like that was going to be where we see – this Celtic team kind of go back to that Celtic team that for all intents and purposes, I know it went to seven, but for a large majority of that series against Toronto, they dominated the Raptors. So I thought they were kind of going to go back to that same team. But like you said, credit to Eric Spolstra, switching things up and going to a zone and them going to zone and switching up the defense um, just showed the versatility of this team to be able to, not only match up with you and go man for man and be able to switch on everything, but at the same time be like, all right, we know that if we try to match up with these guys, they're just going to kill us. And, you know, we got to make sure that we pretty much force somebody outside of their big three Tatum, uh, Kimba and Brown to, 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 to beat us. And, the best way to do that is by going zone and cause it kind of forces you to have to move the ball around. Cause if, as soon as it gets stagnant, the zone can key in on whoever has the ball, which has to force somebody who's off the ball to cut 
make a screen, do something. You can't, because so many times you get caught looking at the ball handler that you just stay there in the corner or stay there on the wing or stay there on the block. And it's like, there's no, there's no movement. And it's just, it reminds me of the old days where it was just Kobe and he was, it was Kobe and the Kobets and he was playing pretty much by himself and everybody was just standing and watching. And he was like literally trying to carry a team on his own. And look, that can get you a couple wins in the regular season, but you cannot win a championship if you're trying to do that, especially in the conference finals in the heat credit to them, tip your cap to them. I didn't think they were going to win this series. It looks as if they are going to win this series. I don't want to like concede completely because we've seen a lot of crazy stuff in the bubble so far. And it wouldn't shock me if yet again, we see another team blow a three, one lead, but for a team in the heat, they have had, they've been playing mistake free basketball so far. And you could arguably say, you could arguably say the heat have been the hottest team coming into the postseason. They've been the hottest team in the postseason and they've been overall just look at their record, the best team in the NBA playoffs so far. I think Laker fans are going to have something to say about that, but I, I, I agree. With... Record. I'm going based off the record. The team I has barely lost like a few games. So, I mean, like, yeah, damn. They're what, 11 and two right now? Lakers exactly. are 11 and three? Yeah. Yeah. Or no, sorry, 10 and three. 10 They're 10 and three over there. But yeah, 11 and two and 10 and three. But yeah, I mean. And it's not to say that, like, you know, the Lakers have been bad. We'll get into them in a second. But it's just the Heat, like we've been saying, just the versatility of the team to be able to cause matchup nightmares for teams that are guarding them because they have Duncan Robinson, they have Tyler Hero, who can knock it down from three. And then you throw in Bam Adebayo, who's down low. And then you also throw Jay Crowder, who's standing there in the Jay corner. Jay freaking Crowder, man. I, Jay Crowder has the become most... the, 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 the new corner specialist. That dude just sits at the court, and he's just like, I'm waiting for it. No, but like... not only that. Like, you think he's only a shooter and only a defender, but he can go off, like, and beat a dude off the dribble, too. I think Jay Crowder's one of the most underrated players in the NBA right now. I mean, you look at his time in he's Boston. Player, he, sure. he made that Boston team. You, know, you could say Isaiah Thomas. You could say Avery Bradley. But I think – without Jay Crowder as well, too. That Boston team wouldn't have had that success that they had going to the conference finals. Absolutely. I, I think when the Heat and Grizzlies made that trade for Iguodala and the fact that Jay Crowder was in that package was just the cherry on top, and it was just like the Heat just got away with murder in this, <laughs> in this trade. And now you're kind of seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I the, the one thing, though, that I will say uh, – is just like, like we we talked about it. The, the 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 Celtics really have no answer for Bam Adebayo. They have no answer for him. And when you have a player who can just do whatever he wants and dominate the glass, he can assist. He can block shots, block the crazy shot in that first game on oh Tatum. My God. Probably the defining moment of the series right there. And then. Just just the way that he's been such the heart and soul of the team, he's he's really like an upgraded version of Draymond Green for this Heat team. Like, if you really think about it, he's – I know Jimmy Butler, like, is the engine that makes this team go because he's, like, so intense and he's always got that intensity about him. But you want to talk about guys that if Bam Adebayo has an off night, I'm more concerned than if Jimmy Butler is not really producing offensively. Because Jimmy Butler will still provide you with that same level of tenacity, intensity, 
on both sides of the floor, even if he is having a bad shooting night. It's like you don't really even have to worry if he's having a bad shooting night because, like we said, Tyler Hero can go off, Duncan Robinson, three-point specialist, Bam Adebayo's inside, and then you throw in the guys that come off the bench as well. So, I mean, like, this team is deep. This team is just so capable. And then, like, the coaching, like you said, Eric Spolstra, very underrated coach, and probably um, if he's able to lead this Heat team to the NBA Finals, uh maybe a lot of people start looking at him as um, not just a, a top tier coach, but like we said, the best coach in the NBA, maybe. Yeah. And I think big concerns is Bam Adebayo. He was grabbing his wrist and like, mm. like at the end of the game. So, I mean, I'm, we're hoping that's not a big injury because if that's a big injury and he's, gonna be out, for, yeah, changer. he's out for a significant time, that could definitely be a serious changer. All right, let's move on to the other conference. At the Western Conference Finals, Lakers against Nuggets. Lakers are up 2-1. Lakers won convincingly, game one by 12 points to go up 1-0. Then in game two, it was pretty much the battle of the big man in the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis and Jokic just going back to back to back to back, ultimately ending in Anthony Davis buzzer beater. three. Kobe! Where he did yell out Kobe, and he won the game for them to put them up 2-0 in the series. And then game three, Nuggets dominated the Lakers. Almost gave up the lead at the end, but beat them by eight uh, to push it to two to one. Game four is on Thursday. Corey, what's your thoughts on this series so far? Um, like you pretty much said, like uh, the Lakers look very convincing in game one, which shocker, Lakers won a game one this playoffs. But um, and, 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 it's, and, and let me just remind everybody, I have the Lakers going to the finals. I have the Lakers winning the NBA finals. I've had them winning the finals since, since the bubble started. I've had them winning the finals since the bubble started. Okay. Like everybody like thinks that I hate the Lakers. I don't hate the Lakers. It's just, this team is so frustrating to watch. I can't watch Laker games because it'll be so frustrating because you have a top tier player in Anthony Davis who at times forgets that he's a top-tier player. And whenever Anthony Davis doesn't play to the level that we know and he should know he's capable of playing at, the Lakers suffer for it. And what did I tell you, Kush? The Lakers are a team that need to have the lead from start to finish. They're not a team that if they get down, they can come back. And they got down in that game three, and they did not come back. So, almost did though they they cut a 20 did. point deficit to three points almost did but i mean like they <laughs> ultimately yeah they I mean. ultimately just couldn't do it and shout out to Jokic, man this dude Jokic might be the new dirk nowitzki he might be with the level of shots and the dirk s spinning fadeaway the, the, the dirk s shots that this that this guy loves to hit it's so annoying. Like, it's just so annoying because it's like, how do you guard that? You can't you, guard it. You can't hate Jokic, but when he takes those shots, I just want to chuck my freaking remote at the TV. Like, like, why are you taking that and how are you making it? And then it goes shit? in and it's like, are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me, bro? Kidding me, bro? And then Jamal Murray puts my boy Caruso in a blender and just starts going off. I mean, like, if, if those two play like that, consistently throughout the series maybe like again we don't know like if, if maybe anthony davis misses that shot we don't know what happens in overtime but overall oh wait no 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 we the the nuggets would have won that game what am i talking about the nuggets would have won that game so i don't know like 
the so far the Nuggets are in are are probably thinking like, hey, we're just an Anthony Davis, you know, late buzzer beater away from instead of being down two one, we could maybe be up two one. Mm-hmm. So I think the Nuggets are feeling confident. I think you know, talking about a team that's you know make crazy comebacks all sit all playoffs long. They have nothing really to worry about. All the pressure is on the Lakers right now. And because everybody is expecting the Lakers to win this series. And if the Nuggets tie this series up next game, that all of a sudden starts to put the pressure on LeBron and AD. Because it's like, we should be killing these guys. We should be beating these guys. It's like, I keep, I keep just thinking about uh, the, the last dance, the, the, Jor- uh, the Jordan and Bulls documentary. And I was just reminded of like when BJ Armstrong's with the Charlotte Hornets and he hit that late game winner on Jordan and he's screaming at the Bulls bench and Mike was like, I should be killing this guy. I should be killing this guy. I, I, I should just be killing him. And, and, and BJ knows better. He knows he shouldn't be doing that. I'm just thinking LeBron plays best when he was mad. When he's mad and he's upset and he's furious, he just takes it to a whole different level. He plays great consistently. LeBron plays great consistently, and he always, for the most part, he always makes the best basketball play. He makes the best decision for the team. But when he plays angry, he goes to a different level. Like, you can just tell the look on his face. He's looking like, I'm going to murder the team. I think he's too worried about the fouls, the fouls he's not getting called, and the fact that he's not getting the LeBron treatment. Like, I, I spread something. I don't know if it how true it is or not, but apparently the Lakers had filed a complaint to the NBA about LeBron not getting enough calls. But it's like, <laughs> you guys realize that in game one, you guys had 25 free throws in the first quarter? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on yeah. now. Nah, but when LeBron plays angry, it's like, good luck. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I just think of that face that he made when he was back with the Heat against Boston. And I'm just like, when LeBron plays like that, just just put the W in the in 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 his team's column, mm-hmm. and I think he needs to consistently play like that. Think about how they disrespected you, and you only got sixteen votes in the MVP voting, uh, sixteen first place votes. Think about like how like you've just been disrespected this whole entire uh, season in the bubble, whatever. Like just think about like all the disrespect that you get on a regular basis, and channel that into the Nuggets. Channel that into like, oh, Jokic talking all that shit. It's like, oh, Jamal Murray talking all that shit again. It's like, I'm about to kill these guys. And if he does that, he they will. They will destroy this team. But the thing is, is that sometimes I understand LeBron doesn't just want to take over. He wants to play within the team. He wants to get guys involved. He wants to, you know, make that kickout pass to Danny Green or Carwell Pope or Kyle Kuzma. But I've been saying it since the playoffs have started. If it ain't working, stop going to it. Stop going to it. Go two-man game with you and AD, and if that's what's, if that works, cool. If, the, if AD decides he don't want to play, then you got to just put your cape on and just put the team on your back and carry them across the finish line. Sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah, and I think – I mean, that you see that with Jamal Murray and Jokic basically just having that two-man game. And I think – Oh, listeners, don't don't shoot me for this one, but I'm gonna make the comparison. I'm seeing a lot of Steph Curry and Jamal Murray right now. That's not a far fetched entire... statement because uh, 
when he first entered the league, Damian Lillard was getting the same level of comparisons. Now, Jamal Murray has been in the league, what, three seasons now, I think? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, so, I mean, you're starting to see his game kind of uh, take the Evolve. thing that – yeah, the thing that will take him from being the player he is now – to up in that upper echelon with the Damian Lillards, with the Steph Currys, and with those top-tier uh, guards in the NBA is if he just does it consistently. Because there's a lot of times where uh, he kind of just disappears. And it's not his fault. It's just he's getting locked up or he's just not making shots. So he kind of just has to have those moments where it's like, all right, I, I'm, 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 it's time for me to go crazy. And he had one in, in game three where he was just hitting step backs. He was hitting crazy jumpers. He was he – was And had 12 assists. He was going crazy. Man was going crazy. I'm just thinking about that shot he hit off Caruso. That was pretty mm-hmm. good. And I'm just like, you, you guys you guys can do that all the time because outside of Rondo, who is a tricky, crafty point guard, I think really the Lakers guards are up for pickings. And a lot of teams throughout this playoffs have not been able to take advantage. Another thing that was also important, Jer- Jeremy Grant came to play. Jeremy Grant had a career high. Uh, and, and I don't know if we'll see that again this postseason. That's the only worrying thing. But it took a Jeremy Grant uh, career high and Jokic and Murray in order to beat the Lakers. Well, and- shout out to Mike Malone because Mike Malone that game three was – had Jeremy Grant literally mirroring LeBron James minute. Every time LeBron came out, Jeremy came out. That's what you have to do. Yeah, exactly. you have to do. Because if he's going to be the designated LeBron stopper, if you will, the the guy who's just going to guard LeBron, then you kind of have to make sure that he's getting rest and he's getting enough uh, minutes to where you don't want LeBron to be out there and all of a sudden the Lakers go on a run. Or all of a sudden, LeBron starts finding a rhythm. LeBron's, you know, getting and ones or going to the cup or getting transition buckets or getting an off-the-glass dunk or something like that. Because that gets you – even though there's no fans, that gets you hype as a player. Mm-hmm. That starts – because you start to see the ball go in the hole, and you're just like, okay, all right, all right, I'm starting to find that rhythm again. And sometimes throughout the course of this series, I think Denver has gotten hit with a case of that. They've gotten hit with the Lakers just going on – like insane runs and they've just been like damn so uh, this game four like i said this series goes two two i think the lakers i don't want to say they're necessarily in trouble but i think panic and i think the 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 uncharted territory of this going beyond just five games is going to be interesting because so far the lakers have only played five games throughout the course of these playoffs in order to advance to the the next round so if they have to play maybe an extra game and then if you look on the opposite end of the bracket and the series is already 3-1 and if Miami takes care of business then Miami gets a little bit more rest and they're able to just sit back and you know watch whoever comes out of uh, either the Lakers and the Nuggets and I think that kind of maybe could also be a a slight, slight factor that could go into determining who wins the NBA Finals. But ultimately, I do still have the Lakers winning this series. I think that uh, the thing that Laker fans and probably the Lakers have to be a little bit more concerned with is just how they are matching up defensively. You're not going to be able to stop Jokic because Jokic is just getting, he's just in his bag at this point. 
But what you can do is prevent the others from going off. There's no reason that Jeremy Grant should be setting career highs. There's no reason that uh, Morris off the bench should be doing what he did. So you kind of just have to, I don't want to say pick your poison, but you can't allow multiple guys to go off on you, especially being a top-tier defense in the NBA. I think that's going to be what it comes down to is the role players. Because for the Lakers, they need that third person to really step up if they want full command of this series. I mean, you looked at round one, it was Kyle Kuzma. Round two was Rondo. Round three, both these guys are kind of back to themselves. Not saying that's a bad thing, but I mean – someone I got to step up in a big way. Is it going to be Danny Green? Is it going to be KCP? Dwight Howard's been looking good. Uh, Markeith Morris, Alex Caruso, or even one of those guys, Kuzma or Rondo. And then for the Nuggets, exactly what you just said. It's taking the pressure off of Jamal Murray and Jokic. Monte Morris did a hell of a job. Jeremy Grant did an amazing job Look in uh, game three, but can they continue that momentum? It's I, I think the Nuggets are still going to sneak away one game, but ultimately I do. I'm going to hang with my prediction and say Lakers in six still. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna rock out with you on that one, and then also for the Lakers, big man, get a rebound! Like, <laughs> what the, what the, what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Anthony Davis was like late in the fourth quarter. He had two, two rebounds. That is inexcusable, man. That is inexcusable, and you should be offended as a big man seeing that box score and being like, "Wow, we we did not dominate the glass." And he turned into he turned into Brooke Lopez for bruh, bruh. Like Pat Riley said it best: no boards, no rings, man. You got to get on that glass. And if you dominate the glass, good things are gonna happen. Like you are going to just make it that much tougher for the Nuggets to beat you. Because, like I said, Jokic is gonna be Jokic. Jamal Murray, we don't really know. Like he could be Jamal Murray we saw in Game Three, or he we he can be just Jamal Murray that you know we saw. Uh, in the first, you know, few games against the Clippers and early on in this series. So it's it's kind of, a, a, like I said, if you limit the others from dominating, you kind of pretty much limit Jamal Murray. That puts the pressure on Jokic to play uh, uh, Superman and put on his cape. And I don't trust Jokic to literally carry the Denver Nuggets to a, a playoff win. I just don't trust it. I don't trust it. But it's not to say he's a bad player. It's just I don't trust him being able to solely beat the Lakers by himself. It will be interesting to watch how these conference finals wrap up. But we're going to wrap up this episode. Appreciate you guys for listening. As always, make sure you guys are following us on social media to stay up with our votes so you guys can vote with, for uh, the game of the week. But um, Instagram, the nosebleeds. Twitter, the underscore nosebleeds. Facebook, the nosebleeds podcast that's k-n-o-w-s bleeds spotify apple podcast check us out give us a five-star review if you're feeling generous Corey, any last words uh i'm just excited to see what goes down week three the nfl excited to see what happens the rest of the way in the nba and then next episode guys i cannot wait to see what happens as we get ever so closer to october with the mlb postseason i'm so excited for baseball playoffs man Can the Angels sneak in? We shall see, because it's possible. Angels in the outfields, we got to believe. Hey, it's, it's it's not a fairy tale. It's not a movie. It's real. All right. We out. Deuces.